good evening and welcome to what I believe is episode 15 of Straight Talking English. I cannot believe we've actually got to that many episodes, oh my gosh. Powering our way through the anthology because that is of course our mission to get through both the love and relationships and power and conflict halves of the AQA poetry anthology. My name is Catherine, your host as ever, talking you through the poems based on my gosh knows all over the place experience in the classroom. Got another double bill for you today which is Seamus Heaney. He's got one poem in both halves, he's got four follower in love and relationships about a family relationship between him and his dad and we got storm on the island power and conflict another classic man versus nature kind of vibe start off with our context Seamus Heaney incredibly incredibly famous poet called the greatest Irish poet since Yeats which is a big deal he has said poetry is born out of the watermarks and colourings of the self and a lot of his poems are at least semi-autobiographical. Born in 1939 in Northern Ireland, a little village in Nowheresville, Dad was legit a farmer which I still find kind of hilarious, like the fact that farmers exist, I'm such a city person. And he died in 2013, so very much a modern poet. 1995, he was awarded the Nobel Prize. Absolutely huge farming family, but I don't know, like a million brothers and sisters? Like, probably not a million. But the fact that the Nobel Prize is the highest award that humanity can give to a writer. And he got it. So, big blimmin' deal. Fun fact of Mice and Men, we all know it. George, we're gonna live on the fat of the land. Steinbeck also won the Nobel Prize. So, make of that what you will. When Heaney was at uni, one of the poets he said inspired him was Ted Hughes. He of bayonet charge and sketchy love life fame. (laughs) So we have a direct link. Our poems are actually both from the same book. It's, I can't remember, I think it's called Death of a Naturalist. And it's written in 1966. It's all about his childhood in rural Ireland and a theme that he comes back to again and again and again is me when I was small in the countryside which is nice but he's not actually that nice because one of his more famous quotations is I will feel lost unhappy and at home when uh, he went to somewhere different on holiday lost unhappy and at home and he always had this sense of like there was a threshold between him his family and the rest of Ireland we can't really talk about his poems because he's incredibly Irish he was given an award from the Queen and sent it back in protest about the treatment of the Irish by the English so we cannot talk about Heaney's poetry without doing a very quick crash course in Irish history. I'm just going to point out for a sec my personal interest in this topic. 
so again you might be able to tell from the voice or if you've met me I'm white British but my mum's family are originally from the Republic of Ireland quite into the family tree and a couple of other members of my family are mostly because I don't know that many members of my extended family so both sets of great grandparents on my mum's side were Irish and my grandparents were first generation London Irish and I've always kind of had this fascination with what made people move to the UK during the First World War in which the Republic of Ireland was neutral and the like we were at war so what made people make that move what was life like for my great-grandparents I mean I've been reading I could have some good guesses but I'm not really gonna know so Irish history is a thing I'm really really interested in to try and make sense of my own roots when Heaney was writing in 1966, it was kind of the beginning of what is called the Troubles. Big T, big T, I'm putting air quotes around it, but you can't see it because this is an audio podcast. If I ever do a video episode, you will see how much I talk with my hands. Troubles between mid-60s to 1998, when it was considered finished by the Good Friday Agreement. Periods of, like, on and off violence. We had paramilitary organisations, we had like nationalist groups, police groups. A notable encounter is in 1969 when riot meant that the British army had to be called in. A number of unjust laws, which we can see today as being unjust, such as perceived discrimination against Catholics by the Protestant police. Honest to gosh, I'm not even going to get into the history of religious denominations in Ireland because I will be here until I die. But if you want to Google this, you're welcome to. The idea that if someone was a known nationalist who believed in independence for the north for northern ireland they could be subject to search without a warrant and at the very start of the troubles only people who actually owned their own homes could vote which same as it is now is not that many people had these 30 years of borderline terrorist and some actual terrorist violence in which totaled it's estimated that three and a half thousand people were killed 52 percent of whom were civilians this leads on to my crazy out there theory which I've can I've been plugging to people for a bit about the Easter rising. So one of the things that kicked off the troubles was the 50th anniversary of something called the Easter Rising in 1916. It was a six-day uprising in which the Irish Republic was proclaimed. Irish the Irish Republic Republic was not fully declared until 1930. So this was very much when the region's under British control. The British sent thousands and thousands of troops into squash it. There were horrific amounts of atrocity against what people who were believed to be sympathisers. So I mean like anyone could be a sympathiser for anything. I mean like where's the line? I mean slightly sacrilegious example. Star Trek. 
I mean, are you a fan if you've watched some of Discovery? If you Are you a fan if you've watched one of the Simon Pegg movies? How about which series? How about who's your favourite captain? I mean, like, the line trying to draw a fan is so broad. So someone who's a sympathiser is even broader. And if you read into it, as I did, it was kind of gross and terrible and quite a few people died in that again apologies if I haven't quite got that right because um I was only researching this quite recently the public reaction at the time in 1916 was a little bit like underground because people hadn't actually been prepared for it it was smaller groups so people kind of bewildered like oh the Brits blockaded a lot of Ireland and it led to food shortages but in terms of the courage of the people who stood up That was widely admired. And the fact it was these huge parades in 1966, which set off the troubles. Question you asked, why am I rambling about this other than the fact I find it amusing? Well, there is actually no way in heck Heaney would not have been aware of this while writing. This is not like secret news. He will have these things floating around in his head. And he said in interviews, he's very much aware of like the partitions between different parts of his life. So this is coming in. While neither poem is explicitly about Irish history, these themes do come in. And I will explain more when it is appropriate. So first up, we'll do it in chronological order through the anthology. So I'll have a crack on a follower. Gotta hear him read this because his accent is tremendous and I am genuinely sorry for the audio quality. So I hope you enjoy this. My father worked with a horse plow. His shoulders globed like a full sail strung between the shafts and the furrow. The horses strained at his clicking tongue. An expert, he would set the wing and fit the bright steel-pointed sock. The sod rolled over without breaking. At the head rig, with a single pluck of reins, the sweating team turned round and back into the land. His eye narrowed and angled at the ground, mapping the furrow exactly. I stumbled in his hobnailed wake, fell sometimes on the polished sod. Sometimes he rode me on his back, dipping and rising to his plod. I wanted to grow up and plough, to close one eye, stiffen my arm. All I ever did was follow in his broad shadow round the farm. I was a nuisance, tripping, falling, yapping always. But today... It is my father who keeps stumbling behind me and will not go away. Oh, he's got a nice voice in it. Bit of a crackly recording because that one's actually for the 90s. But it's nice to hear him say it, isn't it? So we've got a poem of two halves with follower. Could be a metaphor, actually, for the ploughed fields, for this image of the man ploughing, putting things into rows. The first three standards focus on dad in the past, Fourth, the I enters, the character. But the last one is present day, but today. So we've got like this really definite split. In terms of the rhymes, we've got this nice A-B-A-B. 
at various points. But we've got these half rhymes. Again, it can be argued that the ABAB is also linked to a metaphor for ploughing, you know, like one bit of uh, dirt goes that way, the other one goes that way. But it's supposed to create this feeling of insecurity or uncertainty because the rhymes aren't perfect, they're like half and half. Maybe that links to the speaker, maybe that links to Heaney's feelings. In each line, the rhythm supports this blooming ploughing metaphor because it's got alternate beats. My father worked with a horse plough. It doesn't fit into any of our iambic pentameter or stuff like that, but it's supposed to be his footsteps. Donk, 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 donk. Dad's boots, he's bringing up this sensory impression through his meter. First answer, we've got this nice simile, like a full sail strung. Strong, powerful, commanding. A lot of respect from the young Heaney coming in. Think about his rural and agri- agricultural terms. Horse plough, the sock, not like a sock you put on your feet. Rains, furrows, hobnailed like he's not disguising where it's from he's assuming our prior knowledge but also not at the same time so if we don't know we're forced to look it up like he's not compromising his view of the world for us we've got to get into it stanza two starts with this beautiful an expert single short sentence two words used by Heaney to summarise his main idea of the star. We've got this focus on mastery as well. The dad is clearly a boss of what he does but also this like beauty of something that's menial. It's fit, set, pluck. It shows skill at something that's supposed to be basically labouring. In each verse there is a slight enjambment and then not. So a bit of enjambment, not. It's this ploughing image again. Forward, stop and turn. Forward, stop and turn. So subconsciously we're picking up on this image that we're the horses ploughing through the poem, getting to a hedge, then turning round. I like that. Before people say that I'm going too far, remember this guy has a Nobel Prize for poetry. He knows what he is doing. It isn't just like a random, I'm going to write about ploughing. He knows what he's doing. We've got stanza three, which I really like. They're a team. Man and nature are together. Lovely pairing with the prelude when he loves nature, possibly in an inappropriate way. This very close observation. We get this hint through this omnipotent narrator that he is so like wrapped on what his dad is doing. It's so exact. You can almost imagine his eyeball working out the angles. But we've got the stumbled coming in in stanza four. Comes in first to describe the little Heaney, but then it comes in at the end to introduce this role reversal. So we've instantly got this little boy, little Heaney. He is passive. 
His dad rode me on his back. So the dad is always the active one. The kid is like useless, stumbling, watching, passive. It's kind of sweet. I mean, his dad's letting him ride on his back. In one way, it is a very affectionate portrayal. But on the other, we get the start of this like frustration. I'm not allowed to do it myself. I'm a stumbler. Like, oh, great, cheers. And it's this conflict within him because he's the bookish guy. He became some incredible professor, but he couldn't plough. And all I wanted to do is grow up on plough to close one eye, stiffen my arm. All I ever did was follow. I never got the mastery of the things I wanted, despite my other talents. I was a nuisance, tripping, falling, yapping always, yapping imagery through that onomatopoeia of um, like a little dog, like a terrier. Yip, yip, yip. But the twist at the end, it stops halfway, yapping always full stop, definite closure of that idea. But today, time shift, it is my father who keeps stumbling behind me and will not go away. The stumbling connects them. One of the things that Tahini likes is this rite of passage like imagery in his poem he did one about going to school and turns out he was afraid of frog spawn or something I, I, I didn't get into that one but I've got to question the wisdom once again of putting some of the relationship poems in because there's a number of reasons you can read that I'm 32 my dad's 63 it's something that I've got to face at some point my dad is going to be an old man he's not going to be able to do all the things that he does. I mean, some of you listening may have lost a parent, some of you listening may be in this situation already, but the idea that it's now the dad who follows Heaney, and he's stumbling because he doesn't have the strength, he won't go away. So what's interesting is Heaney wrote this after his dad had died, but I don't know if he's reflecting back on the end of his dad's life or if he's writing this from like a place of bereavement and moving on. It could be he won't go away and Heaney is desperate to go up, to grow up and leave who he was behind. But no, like he keeps getting the phone calls to come back to the farm or something. It could be that he knows he will never ever measure up to his dad and he wants this to go away could be literally like his ghost his impression his spirit he's always gonna have this echo of his dad with him but it could be like a devotion it could be that after all these years of little Heaney following him around finally the dad recognizes that devotion and follows him the other way it's the switch respect affection frustration who is doing what it's a nice poem though Heaney's grown on me actually a lot because I didn't like his stuff when I first read it and now I actually kind of do and I think it is just looking into the man's life and looking into the beauty of his rhythm and his meter that really got me feel free to switch off now if you're doing love and relationships i mean or don't i would love it if you kept listening but it's your life storm on the island it is a storm it's on an island there you go that's a poem nah it's it's a little bit more complicated than that first thing you notice is it is one solid block of thing it kind of reminds me of the squat houses it is like 
a solid block, it's squat house. The structure is representing what it's describing. It's this blank verse. It's deliberately used to give it kind of a conversational tone. It's a poem and we could make a comparison with My Last Duchess in the sense it puts us into a role. He's, I think of him like a tour guide. Like, I'm visiting, and he he tells us all about it. The we makes me included in the village, so we are prepared. He's putting us in the role of someone to whom he is explaining. Same way that the Duke puts us in the role of, like, a visitor almost with the messenger. Language similar. It's rural. It's about the countryside. Yeah, I didn't really need to tell you that. Squat houses. Slate. The wizened earth. Is it desperate to get some rain? I mean, it's personified as an old person. Is it like, you know, is it ancient? Is it desperately dried up because the English have blockaded it? Because yes, I think a lot of this is a metaphor for the Easter Rising. Is it blockaded? Has someone else wizened it? It's, but he's making the best of it. (laughs) You know, we've never had hay, so it's actually fine. We don't have to worry about anything blowing away because we were never even able to have hay. Yeah, this, this like, make make the best of it the semantic field of nature is almost like personifying it like the trees are friends with the hay i like it the it's actually kind of fun because the way it's structured in the verse in each line sorry after a couple of after a couple of words in a lot of them it stops we are prepared stop blast stop no the very windows turn savage what he's creating is a sense of like the storm of picking stuff up and dropping it. Like whoosh, drop. Which ironically is what actually the weather is doing outside my house right now. And I have heard a really scary like window noise. So if you hear my running footsteps, it's because probably stuff like there's a window open or something. He's got the weird um, half rhyme couplets again. Like us stacks. Like some of them don't really work. Cliffs, hits. Shakespeare did this. Again, I think I need to play a bingo game where, like, every time a poet does something that Shakespeare does, I get a quid. It draws, like, a nice end. When there's an end of an idea, it puts in a couplet. But Because it's a half rhyme. We've got half a harmony, half a discord. And it's what makes it so ambiguous. Breaking the fourth wall like Deadpool. You know what I mean. After Blast. Yeah, making it accessible to everyone. I mean, everyone says, you know what I mean. It's keeping us in the conversation. Dashes and colons are splitting up the ideas. Definite stop, interruptions. Keeps with this stop, start, stop, start of the storm. The weather is personified. It is singing. It can raise a chorus. It's beautiful. So nature is lovely. Nature is our friend, even when it turns on us. Whenever there's enjoyment in this, by the way, it's the upswing, the crescendo of his emotion that drops. It all links into this whoosh, stop, our sensory impression that he's doing again. And he is a smart fella. Gotta say, direct address, you, you. I like the exploding comfortably, by the way. Little oxymoron. So, explosion, bad, comfortably, nice. If it's far away, you feel secure. If the violence is in Dublin... You're fine in your farm at home. Easterizing. Seriously, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Simile, tame cat. 
turn savage. You expect it to be nice, but it's actually horrible. We've got the flip again of the exploding comfortably. Strafes. All right, all right. Strafes, I know you do it in a video game, but strafe means like um, where the plane flies low and then drops a bunch of bombs and then flies back up again. It links with this semantic field of war. So, really easy link to another poem. Salvo and strafe. Pummel might work. Bombardment. Yeah. But at the end, this lovely parrot, this lovely little like, paradox. We are bombarded by the empty air. Strange, it's a huge nothing that we fear. Again, lovely and ambiguous. I do really enjoy it. a bit of an ambiguity. So, on the one hand, we can't actually see the storm. We can't see the wind. It's wind. Yeah, it's invisible. Or, actually, we never had anything to fear in the first place. Or, again, my vibe. Actually, we stood up to the English. They did some bad stuff. But who are they really? We don't even need to, need to fear them. The other word that, that messes with people, by the way, is a stook. <laughs> Imagine like a field of grain or corn and they've piled it up so it's in like um, a cylindrical shape of like a string round it. I think it's on the Hovis logo. That's a stuck. <laughs> um, it is a nice poem. I do like that one actually. It's got this element of fear rather than the irritation of follower. Is it a religious thing? Again, playing bingo. Do we have a religious image? He is Catholic. And the idea that you don't need to be afraid of something that you can't see. Can't see the weather, so you prepare yourself and stay safe. Can't see God, so he loses power if you focus on the local. And like I'm I'm stretching it a bit, but I do think the like not supernatural, but the beyond natural thing of the weather linked to a god or god with a big G does work. I will always see this as people preparing for huge, huge, huge problems after the Easter Rising. And they've got themselves ready, they're hiding in the farms, but actually it only lasts six days. And it's like, oh... The military image, the military he would have encountered is the English being completely over the top in their response. I, if I was in the exam, I would talk about that, but that's just me. Um, at the age of 32, I'm like, I would write any old thing, it's fun. But I know that you guys want to play it a bit more straight. So stick to the man versus nature thing unless you're feeling very bold or know a heck of a lot more about the easter rising and the troubles than i do so friends and partners storm on the island um if you want to talk about the monologue direct address my last duchess yeah definitely if you want to talk about man versus nature prelude about how the tone shifts and the relationship to nature shifts because it's actually kind of a mirror image of prelude he starts off liking nature then he's afraid of it he whereas Heaney starts off being afraid of nature then realizes there's nothing there could make a nice one with Ozymandias or Ozymandias that big old legs in the desert in the sense that man has won through his preparation in Storm on the Island but Ozymandias lost to nature because of his arrogance nice one I like that one actually um it does work with tissue it does um but you're gonna be prepared to stretch the point about landscape stretch it to its very limits 
In terms of friends for follow-up, because we all need friends. Uh, I would say... Let's stick family to family. Not family and romance. A little bit of Game of Thrones in it. Um, that said, neutral tones, natural imagery. Sonic 29, uh, the admiration in, and interconnection will work. Neutral tones, they remember, like, the idea that nature is representing his mood rather than, like, the dad's actions are presenting he needs mood. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Letters from Yorkshire. Have haven't covered that one yet but that is another one that tugs at my heartstrings letters from Yorkshire in terms of the domestic being more powerful things that should be boring being impressive um father yeah walking away it's dad it's a son yeah you're unlikely to get one that specific about fathers and sons but if you want to make a parental relationship about how he needs dad is following him but Cecil Day-Lewis is like letting his son go then yeah dad's um not convinced about Eden Rock if you want to make a point about single imagery then do it um but I wouldn't mother any distance work mother any distance about the um the changing connections between uh boys and parents as they grow up uh winter swan natural imagery winter swan if I was in the exam I'd do like a nice little prelude or a nice little winter swan for my follower Right, if you don't know much about Heaney after that, I've exhausted my Heaney well. If you look online, there are a lot of videos of him being interviewed, of him reading his poems, so I really suggest you check them out. Gonna plug my pluggables? Of course! So, Twitter, str 8 talk. English. I tell some really bad jokes. Um, it's all about reaction gifts this week and reposting jokes that clients have told me. So if you've got a joke, I might repost it. I might not. Depends if I'm, I find it amusing. StraightTalkingEnglish.wordpress.com. I also write some stuff. Maybe it's even good. Who knows? I have been working on a super secret project, which I will announce to you when it returns to me next week. So keep your eyes peeled keep your earballs earballs eyeballs and ear holes open for that one because it is gonna be really really cool next episode i will return and i'm gonna do walking away kamikaze eden rock unless anything changes so i'll have some single bills instead of the longer ones thank you for bearing with me hope you have all the luckily irish and wish me luck that this storm does not damage my house thank you very much and good night